Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN King's Insider Podcast brought to you by Max Muscle. We have a special edition of the CarCast. It's Jerry and James in the car. The CSN Kings Insider Car Cast. What's going on, JR? Well, not much. I'm just trying to figure out how you can do this, but uh, i got faith in you, for, for now at least. You've got faith in me. I can drive. I can multitask. Uh, driving and uh, and talking at the same time. It's what I do the whole way down. It's just this time I've got a big, giant silver microphone in my face. Yeah, that's a good point there. You know, I mean, you, you've uh, definitely proven to me you can do more than one thing at a time, which, of course, I cannot. <laughs> well, you can just be a passenger. I don't think being a passenger takes anything. So you can be a passenger and uh, sit in the car. So just so people know, we're uh, we're in San Francisco. We just left the CSN studios. Um, we're heading towards the Bay Bridge. We're on. We're just passing Third Street. Uh, probably going to get stuck in a little bit of traffic here, but uh, we should be should be we should be okay i don't i don't know the traffic's going to be as bad as uh, some of the other games uh the sacramento kings just lost to the san antonio spurs they led by as many as 28 points and they lost by 10 so we had a 38 point swing jerry what's your initial takeaway from a game like this where realistically at this point a bad team goes in gets a jump on a really really good team even without a couple of stars and then the whole thing kind of unwinds and snowballs. Yeah, you know, if, you, if you'd if have said uh, the, the score being what it was, that wouldn't have surprised anybody had the, you know, you said, well, the Kings will lose 110 to 114 to 104 or something like that. Everybody said, well, that's fine. You know, they're a better team, and that's about the margin it should be. Mm-hmm. How they got there was what was uh, uh, something you could not prepare yourself for because the Kings obviously were dominant in the first quarter and looked like world beaters in mid- middle till about the middle of the second quarter. And then the, the world changed dramatically from that point on, and the world beaters became the Spurs. The Spurs are world beaters, though. I mean, this is – they won 50 games. This is their 50th win of the season uh, with, I don't know, 18, 19 games left. And they've – I think they've posted – is this nine straight, something eight straight? Uh, but on top of that, this is their 18th consecutive season of winning 50 games or more. Is there another franchise that you, I mean, I guess maybe the old Boston Celtics, the Lakers at some point, but really this is such a gold standard for any professional sports franchise? It really is, especially when you look into the terms of a small market team that's done what they've done and uh you know and and didn't really and really don't have the benefit of of you know several uh hall of famers you know they're i mean obviously they've had some great players and definitely they've had hall of famers but you're not when you talk about the old lakers team uh, whether it's been Shaq and kobe and or you know before the the with magic and worthy and and uh, kareem or the bird 
Mikhail Perry Celtics or Michael Jordan and Pippen and, and Horace Grant or Rodman. I mean, you know, it, it you expect those teams to have long runs with the, and to have remarkable success. But uh, this has been unique. The only thing team that I would even kind of compare it to, although they've been far, far better, uh, is the Utah Jazz. You know where they had all those great uh, runs of you know not but not to the same level uh, but the Stockton Malone Jerry Sloan era uh, in a small market but uh, you know th- I don't think it'll ever be equal to be honest with you I think it, this we're seeing uh, history in basketball that'll never be equaled. Yeah, I love watching the Spurs. I love Greg Popovich. Uh, he's not an easy guy to interview. I've interviewed him many times, but he's still he's a good man and he's definitely spoken out on social change and uh he's been very very vocal uh about the president of the united states he's a guy who kind of breaks the mold of an nba coach a guy who isn't afraid to to be more than just a sports figure yeah exactly i mean he is his own man and uh and certainly i think it's it sells well with his team you know and i think he's gotten a probably a little more outspoken a little more hard-edged as you know as the success has been there you know I think knowing Greg as I have from back when he was assistant coach you know with Larry Brown and then later Don Nelson I mean you know certainly uh, uh, he he kind of felt his way along much like a Pat Riley did you know Uh, but once the success is there then you can be more confident and how you conduct yourself, uh, your statements, how you deal with players. And certainly it is his franchise. And as good as Ginobili has been or Parker or Duncan, all these players know that. That's right. They know that. And, you know, they just have a way. You, you brought up the Utah Jazz. They have a way of sort of systematically destroying you and breaking your spirit that I think is, I don't know, it, it's something that, really you haven't seen too many times. It's a team that can, in a season where the scoring goes nuts, they can be uh, they can be a top-scoring team. When they need to be the best defensive team in the league, they can be the best defensive team in the league. They have a versatility to them, and their system is so well entrenched. How do you get that point? How do you, like, I mean, Dave Yeager is trying to do something here in Sacramento, but how do you build that sort of, uh, I don't know, system that you can just plug and play players one after another after another? Well, it's a great question, and I don't really have the answer. I, I've always said, you know, is it, uh, is it win first or is the system first? You know, and I, I mean, I think it's certainly it's easier to have a system and stick to it when you have won enough to, for certainly ownership, and everybody to be on the same page you know I mean until you've won and I mean I look at Pat Riley or Jerry Sloan or anybody that's had a lot of success over a long period of time one thing they you know they they certainly had the players to win but I I don't think the system was in place as much as they were able to win and then they were able to to develop their own personality and style and uh, maybe you know be uh, be a little harder edge to it because uh, the players knew who truly was running the show, and uh, not very many coaches can get to that spot. All right, so let's talk about the game a little bit because it had this very strange flow. I mean, the Kings, again, they went up by 28 early. 
they were they jumped all over all over the Spurs from the minute the ball tipped. Uh, Tyreek Evans was exceptional. He had 13 points in the first couple of minutes of the game. Uh, Costa Kufis was cutting down and, and putting in all kinds of little flip shots in the lane over Dwayne Dedman. Um, you know, they really had this nice flow to them. And then when the second unit came in, Buddy got it going. And then Scal got it going. And they just had this flow. How impressed were you just the way that they were able to build a lead against a team like the Spurs? It was really impressive because, as you said, I mean, you talk about a perfect first quarter. I mean, that was that was gorgeous yeah. basketball. I mean, the shots were good shots. The ball was moving. The spacing was excellent. Uh, when they got a chance to get out and run, they ran efficiently, made the right decisions. I mean, I mean that's that was a championship level first quarter. Now, you know, we all know you don't win games in one quarter, and that was proven. But. Uh, the Kings did a lot of good things, and you'd like for them to be able to, to do more more of that for longer periods of time. But it was fun to watch. Yeah, and, you know, the game spun out of control so quickly. You could see the Spurs just clawing their way back in, specifically in the third quarter where they, I think they outscored the Kings by 11 or 13 in the third. Really, the, the pendulum switched late second quarter, third quarter, by the fourth quarter, you kind of got the feeling that the Kings were, were in for a long night and that they probably didn't have much of a shot, especially when Manu Ginobili started getting it going. I, I think he scored 17 points in a very small window of time. Um, sorry, we are we just cleared the Bay Bridge, people. I forgot to give you updates on where we are in the uh, Jerry and James car cast. Uh, we're heading towards Berkeley on our way home after the Sacramento Kings lost to the San Antonio Spurs. Now, Jerry, I think we're getting to this point, and we talked about it on the telecast, but I think we want to see Scal Lebisier play major minutes, and even Buddy Heald play major minutes. But can you help people kind of understand why it is that you think that Anthony Tolliver and Aaron Aflalo maybe are struggling a little bit to find their way in the post-Demarcus Cousins era? Well, I think both those guys, uh, and maybe Tolliver even more so than Aflalo, but but both, it, it, really, they need almost somebody to draw a double team so they can play uh, and get open shots. I mean, Anthony Tolliver, really, that's been his career, and, and he's very good at it, but he's a spot-up shooter, and he's not going to basically uh, – beat people off the dribble and and Aaron you know he, he likes to take spot shots as well very good at it and can post a little but without Cousins uh, it really has affected Tolliver the most and maybe Aaron to a lesser degree uh, and and there's no doubt that it's a it's a much tougher game for for Anthony Tolliver here going forward I I, I just don't see uh, you know see it how it's going to get anything but tougher for him because uh, quite honestly, and it's no secret, he, he's, he's basically pretty easy to guard if you just play him head up. And, and it's not really his fault. It's more a function of losing one of the best pivot players in the league and a guy who can pass out it and who can see a double team and, and manage a double team and draw a crowd. It's just really difficult to watch. At, at what point would you turn the ball turn turn that power forward position over to guys like Scowl and Willie well probably yesterday uh, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I understand with with coach Jager because you want to give your veterans a chance to fight for the playoffs uh, but the odds of that are, are pretty slim now uh, and and the fact that the other part of it is if that's still a goal 
Well, my, I, I would tell Coach Yeager if he was interested, uh, you know, it's like I think you got a better chance of getting the playoffs by playing Scout. Uh, he, he, he can do more. He creates more problems. He's harder to guard. So on both fronts, it, it makes sense to me uh, to play Scal. And I, under, and I understand why he was brought along slowly, as he should have been. But, uh, you know, we, we've seen her, at least in my mind, I've seen enough to say, you know, this guy is a, is a real player, and, and I'd like to know, you know, how much he can bring to the table. Uh, it, does he have, besides being a good player, which you can already see that, you know, is he going to be a star? I, I, I kind of feel that he's got real star potential, and if he does, then uh, there's no downside to having him out there. All right, we are passing Berkeley. Uh, we'll try not to have anything crazy happen because that's all that happens in Berkeley is crazy things. Um, so basically, Scal, uh, he's showing all of this this talent. He show he, he just it kind of oozes out of him all of this potential and this incredible soft touch, uh, this ability to rebound outside of his zone, this ability to hit a fallaway jumper, and he's setting it up now. Uh, I know early in the season, Peja came on the podcast, and he compared Scal to Chris Bosh. Are you seeing some things that would lend you to make a comparison to someone like Bosh or another player that, that Scal maybe can turn into maybe we're not putting a ceiling or we're not putting a floor, but we're saying, I think he kind of looks like this guy. Well, he, he's, you know, I think he's a combination of a lot of guys. You know, I think the Bosch thing makes some sense, uh, but uh, Bosch did not have the athleticism that uh, Scal has. You know, he doesn't have, didn't have quite the length. He's probably a little more fundamental player at the same age, but uh, not, not as athletic. I got a little bit of Richard Lewis in him. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, a very long player that could uh, spot up and shoot, can post, uh, do that sort of a combo forward, which, uh, which you know, I mean, uh, that's <laughs> he was a heck of a player in his day, you know, his best years. Uh, I think that uh, Scal actually has a little more length and, and a little more inside game for the same age. So, you know, I, being as old as I am, I can, I can go back <laughs> a lot of ways and remember guys when they were 19. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes fans will want to compare them to guys that, you know, they see him at 25. Well, that that's not what you want to do because, uh, you know, that's not where he is. But but at the end of it, every comparison you, you'll make is with a guy who had a very good career. And that's what's good. That's what's important. I think so, too. And so the, the King's biggest issue coming out of the Cousins era is that they're not a mecca for, for free agency. Uh, it, they always have a difficult time chasing high-end free agents and they need to improve through the draft, and they need to improve through trades. But really, they need one of these young guys to step up and be something more than you expected. And they really have to find a star. Can they find a star in this draft? And I guess, can they find a star on this roster between Malachi, Scal, Buddy, to complement another player that they'll have to add in this year's draft or next year's draft? I think that, you know, you hit on it. I mean, they've got to do that. I mean, if you're really lucky in the draft, and I mean, luck is always a a product of the thing, uh, you you know, you can find a star. I mean, now it would be amazing to find two, but I mean, let's say you find one. And uh, and if, in fact, I think very possibly you could find a star on the current roster, 
you know, if Scal can be that, uh, you know, and I think he can be a guy that can draw double teams and uh, be tough to cover, you know, to make make teams really focus on guarding him. It looks like he has that kind of potential. So if he w were to be the star, and I think he's got the best chance, to be honest, uh, and that's my opinion, uh, and then say you get one, get a young man in the in the draft that can step in is ready to play day one and uh, can go put up good numbers and looks like he can uh, be a real problem for teams going forward. Well, you got now you got something to go down the road with. And, uh, and you're not going to go very far if you don't have some stars. That's right. It is a star-driven league, and Sacramento is, has the uh, unfortunate sort of place that, you know, they are sort of an NBA outpost. It's tough to get free agents to come to Sacramento. Um, now, Jerry, we brought up Buddy Hill there. Uh, I have compared Buddy Hield to a little bit of J.R. Smith without the crazy. What is it that you see from him, and and how do you project him as a player? Well, I like you know I like he's definitely can shoot the ball, and and he's got a you know got a, a knack to get shots. And that's very important. He's got enough size. He's got enough athleticism. You you know you'd always like. You'd like more of everything. Uh, you'd wish he was a little bigger and a little quicker and all that sort of thing. Obviously, his handle is a work in progress. He's simply not good enough with the ball right now. And uh, it's been my contention that, uh, you know, dribbling is a skill that a lot of guys can learn. <laughs> and, and he needs to get better at it. Uh, you know, and, and he has a tendency to keep the ball too long. He, you know, when he gets doubled and, and – uh, thinking something good's going to happen he's got to make those decisions quicker but all oh, having said that i mean he's showing that he can score the ball and to me buddy heel looks like a guy that within two years maybe could be a 18 point a game starting two guard i, I definitely think uh, he has enough game for that all right so jerry we are uh, we're doing the the car cast san pablo avenue so we are in richmond california um, you've been doing it's what is this three games in a row? Yeah, we did three games in a row with you doing the telecast, Doug switching over and and doing the uh, the telecast. Uh, what is it that you've noticed is the difference between calling a game and being in studio or being on the set at at uh, Golden One Center? Just how is it different for you transitioning from one to the next when you do get the opportunity to kind of mix it up? Yeah, it's been really interesting. You know, I, I've always thought about, you know, last couple of years maybe getting the opportunity. Uh, to me, it's in a simplified form. You know, when you're when you're doing the, the studio shows, uh, you're basically before the game you're talking about what you think is going to happen. And after the game, you're talking about what has happened. Uh, while you're, when you're doing the live game, you're talking about what is happening. And uh, you know that's that's about as simple as I can put it. I, I mean, I I think uh, you know there's there's obviously real value in 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 all perspectives. You know, and I, I mean the uh, the actual doing the live game is uh, you know more exciting, more fun. Just like uh, because you're part of the in effect part of the game. Uh, the truth is, with the studio show. Uh, before and after, I mean, you really can get in depth a little bit more about what happened and why it happened. Uh, you know, uh, certainly after the game's over, uh, you know, Grant and I, you don't really, you're not able to have the time or you're not expected to, to to really break down the game much. You make a few comments and same way at halftime. So, so it's a, you know, I guess in a nutshell, that's it. I, I like the part where you can get in depth a little bit about the game. 
but I also like uh, just really enjoy doing games live. Yeah, the I, it is so different. The two jobs you would think, you know, I try to tell people like when I first started this, uh, and they're like, okay, we need you to go do uh, a live hit. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means, but that's fine. Okay, just look in the camera. What I found is that there's like 17 different ways to do a hit, a television hit. There's you know a a like a group shot where there's three of you. There's one shot where you're staring into a camera. There's one where someone's in your ear. There's one when they just want you to talk into a camera and make some, you know, make a statement. Um, it, it's very different. Have you struggled at all with just trying to figure out what it's like to be, especially the CSN studio is so much bigger than what people think because CSN does 1,500 pre and post games a year. And there are people working in these little rooms everywhere that are working on graphics or working on cutting video or audio. How has that been for you, I guess, is that, that transitioning? <laughs> that's, been, that's a great question because uh, I, 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 I think I'm just terrible uh, on the uh, finding the cameras. You know, I mean, I'm used to... You <laughs> I know, think you're doing just well, fine. Like, well, like with Grant and I, I mean, it's just one camera that's going to be in front of us. Or, exactly. You or stare into at one, one camera. Or they yeah. say, you know, there's going to be a camera across the way, you know, and it's got the red light on, and that's where you'll be looking. So that's pretty easy. But in the studio, you know, there's three three different camera angles, and, and I, I, I struggle with... Uh, you know, finding the right one, I think, and it's just it's just an adjustment, certainly. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's like when they go to different shots, whether it's yourself or Coe's or you know, and, and I'm looking to where to see the camera is, and, and all that. So it, it's, I, I uh, you know, I'm a work in progress. Let's put it that way. But it's a lot more difficult, you know. And I I, I think even the, uh, the the show from the arena is actually easier for me uh, because. Uh, you have have a guy standing there pointing to the uh, camera, <laughs> and you know I I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I I can follow it when a guy's pointing at the camera. Yeah, when a guy's jumping up and down and pointing, pointing yeah, pointing. I kind of I kind of <laughs> get that. So uh, you know, but it, uh, with it being robotic and all that stuff, it's a little tougher for me. Yeah, I, I think that's something that again, it's you just don't understand how many different types of. Uh, like television hits there are like when you're standing there it's crazy so we are passing panole right now uh i'll make sure jerry keeps his head down this is not the safest area uh but you know yeah they'll never take me alive here buddy <laughs> that's right we're on our, we're almost to hercules so uh once we get past panole and into hercules we feel a little safer we're heading towards the carcanus bridge uh jerry and i have a ritual that we do we stop at Cordelia, as opposed to Doug. Doug likes to drive all the way through because he's one of those guys that, that his body is a shrine. And uh, me and Jerry are more like our, our bodies are for Shriners. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we, uh, we like to stop and eat some fast food. But, uh, Jerry, there's one other thing that I love about walking into the CSN studio. When we're there and the Warriors are playing on the same night, Gary St. Jean is there. Yeah, and, Saint, yeah. And he's such a great man, and you guys have had a relationship for years. Why don't you talk a little bit about Gary and, and sort of how you've known him and, you know, again, being in the front office with the Kings when he was a coach there and, and sort of your journey with, with Gary St. Jean. Yeah, that is really interesting. I mean, we go way, way back. I, I was uh, 
an assistant coach with the Kings when I first came in, and Gary was an assistant at that time with the Milwaukee Bucks under Don Nelson, and so we'd run into each other. And, and then uh, later on, of course, he joined uh, Don in, uh, in Golden State, and then I was, of course, still with the Kings, and, and I became uh, involved with the, in the hiring process. Uh, when Jim Thomas became the owner, he wanted to, to, to hire a coach, and, and uh, certainly I, Gary was a guy I recommended, and uh, we interviewed, had five or six people we interviewed. I was on the myself and the owner and uh, Scott, the late Scotty Sterling and uh, the president of the, of the team at that time, Rick Benner, were all involved in the uh, coaching hire process. We interviewed quite a few guys, but so anyway, that's, uh, you know, we hired Gary and, and uh, you know, just one of those things where we've had a relationship ever since and not, not even his stint with the Kings, but when he came back with the Warriors and Gary of course, coached again with the Warriors, was GM, and, of course, now he's doing television. And uh, just a delightful guy. I, I mean, he's one of those guys that you, you see in your, you know, your spirits just uh, just light up because he's that kind of guy. And uh, I just uh, I, I've, I can't say, you know, I don't think I ever had a bad day with Gary. We always had a good time. And we didn't always agree on everything, but we always had a good time and enjoyed and I think respected each other. Yeah, and he, he talks until he's red in the face. Well, and, he, and he's, he's red in the face <laughs> when he starts, and then he keeps going until he's redder. That's, and, that's uh, right. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's the saint. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay, so uh, Jerry and James in the car doing the car cast. We're passing that industrial area where you can see the water off in the distance, but I don't even know what these refri- refineries are on the way uh, on the way back to Sacramento. Um, now, Jerry, we're not going to car cast the whole way home. That's not how we roll because, uh, again, we've got other things to do here, and we can't just sit here and let people hear all of the discussions that we have as we commute. No, no, we got to keep something secret. Yeah, we and Jerry and I do have, uh, like, we, again, it's a, it's, I don't know, what, have we been in the car together for six hours already this week? Yeah, and, I mean, you know, I mean, compared to in the earlier stints, I mean, we've, well, our little butts have traveled together a good bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not quite at Grant Napier status where you, you've traveled with Grant all over the world, all over the NBA world uh, for the last, I don't know, 20, well, 19, 20 years? Yeah, yeah, 19 years I've uh, been with Grant. Uh, and uh, actually, and then, of course, with Gary, uh, Gerald, uh, a couple years before that, although we had a break where I, a couple years I didn't do any TV. So, uh, but Grant, yeah, we we we've been a team a long time, and obviously he's the the talented part of it. I mean, I always say the play-by-play guy uh, really is the talent, and uh, it's up to color analyst to fit in and you know try to give some help and make it make it a better show. That's really about the bottom line. All right, so you brought up one other person there, and I want to bring up Gary Gerald because Gary had his twenty-fifth hundredth game on uh, called on either radio TV, with the Kings on uh, Sunday. And it's a special occasion. I mean, he is one of the greats of the game. And uh, can you kind of tell me what it's been like to uh, to be around Gary Gerald? Because to me, he is one of the more special people that I've met in this business. He's just an amazing spirit, an amazing person. And I, I, I love him. He's like a grandpa to so many people. But what has he meant to you in this journey? 
Well, I'll, I'll say right up front, he's he's not my grandpa, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know he he is. I mean, the ultimate pro, uh, great friend over the years. He's been was a mentor to me on in TV, really. Uh, worked worked with him some in radio as well, and uh, you know he he's just simply one of the very best in his profession. I, I honestly think he's the very best. That's a little bit of a bias for you, I know, but I really believe that. I uh, I. Uh, you know, and I think as good as he is at his job, I'm not at all sure he's not just a better person to go with it. You know, he's such a pro. I, I've always said, uh, you know, on the on our travels uh, with Gary and myself and the rest of the the uh, TV crew and radio people, I mean, we're we're our own team, and you would understand that. You yeah. Know, that that uh, uh, you know we have, uh, and quite honestly, if I didn't like the people I was around, I'd, I'd have quit a long time ago. But uh, but they're the real team for me, and I not that I, I really enjoy the players and the coaches and all that too. But uh, you know, Gary's the kind of guy I think pulls everything together. You know, the the pros pro and uh, class gentleman, and uh, he's just a you know he's he's a he really is a mentor. And to see how how well he's still doing it at six, 76, I think you know kind of gives me a little bit of hope that maybe I I got a little little gas left in the tank. That's right. All right, so we just cleared the uh, the Carcanus Bridge. Uh, of course, I this is when I do my fast track commercial. All of you go out and get a fast track. Uh, I was able to manage driving, podcasting, and fast tracking all at the same time. He get- did. He did. I'm a witness. <laughs> I think there was some scary moments there. Yes, there was. Yes, there Jerry was. Jerry was thinking... Oh my gosh, what's about to happen? But we we crossed the bridge in the toll booth, and we survived. Um, okay, I, again, I I want to finish with this question because it, it's kind of abstract and kind of different. But the Kings have four first round picks on this on this team right here, and they're varying degrees of of skill level and and readiness for the for the NBA right now. But you went through another phase with the Sacramento Kings where they had four first-round picks in one season. And it was Lionel Simmons, Travis Mays, Anthony Bonner, Dwayne Coswell. Right. How does this group compare to that group? How difficult is it to bring in four young players at one time? What is that experience like to be on the other side, like looking at how to bring these guys along uh, with, again, one guy jumping up, one guy struggling, one guy going this way, that way? That's a great question because, I mean, obviously at that time, and they pretty much all played. Uh, you know, in truth, uh, with the exception of Travis Mays, uh, they all had pretty good careers for where they were picked. Uh, of course, Lionel Simmons was a runner-up rookie of the year and was a terrific player until he did, you know, his legs were shot. But uh, uh, Dwayne Coswell, I mean, he, he was, you know, I know fans would like to, you know, make cracks about him, but the bottom line is they were basically a 20th pick. I think he played in the league 12 years. Yeah. And, uh, played, uh, you know, and, and then, of course, Bonner had about a 10-year career. and, and as a He could rebound. Play, and, you know, and was certainly a legit player. So, and Mays really was a disappointment, uh, even though he had a decent rookie year. But uh, so it's, it's so it's so tough. And I think at that time Dick Motto was a coach, and he played them all, but you weren't going to win. Uh, the team just couldn't win. It just simply, they weren't ready to win. I think if you could have kept them all together uh, for a few years, you, you know, you might have had a chance if you could have added a, a real piece with them. If we, you know, could have uh, 
could have got, got a couple more pieces with them. I think they might have had a chance to, to become a winning team. But, you know, basically once sometimes when you trot rookies out there and they, they don't win and the coach gets disenchanted and they want different pieces, you know, and, and that, that was a part of that, I think. Now, is that, you think, one of the reasons why we've seen Dave Yeager take this group so slow, not because of that team, but because of the way young players, they have such a, I don't know, they're, they're ups and downs. They don't, they don't understand how to keep it just sort of medium level all season long. The, the first year in the NBA is so difficult for anyone. But, ha- again, having four of them in one locker room has to be, like, slightly unnerving as a coach. Yeah, it really is. I think for, for this team, this particular team, it's a little better circumstance. And I think Dave is, uh, really did the right thing for the most part. I, I mean, you know, I have my little thoughts on Scal and all that stuff. But, but the end of the day is, you know, this team was put together with a lot of veteran guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't just, just uh, uh, dump veteran guys until you're sure. You know, you've got to go the extra mile with those guys. And, and, I, and I think the rookies understand that. Uh, now there's a point when you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. But but I, I think with Coach Jager, uh, you know, basically he was in effect not wanting to put young guys out there till he felt they could go out there and play and perform and not embarrass themselves and make progress. And I think that's pretty much what he's done. Uh, you know, you could make the case, and certainly some fans certainly want to do that, that he could have done it sooner or do more of it. And, and that's all true. Uh, you you can always second guess anything. Uh, my my feeling is he's handled it very well, and uh, now uh, you know now you're seeing the, the I think the the benefits of that because uh, Scal you know played in the D League and uh, bounced up and down Malachi played in the D League bounced up and down and and uh, you know you've seen it okay uh, they proved themselves down there and and now they're proving themselves in in the big show. And certainly Buddy Heald had been brought in, and, of course, he had been starting in, in New Orleans, and so he's really coming off the bench. So, you know, I think it's a case of Dave Yeager uh, trying to say, hey, I want to see a little more, a little more consistency, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's great. You know, now I certainly I, I don't, wouldn't mind seeing a little more of, of all those guys uh, as we, we wind down the season, but uh, to say uh, – you know, I, I wouldn't criticize much at all. I like to say it was with Labissier. I he's the guy I'd say I'd like to see, kind of focus on just to see if there's a if there's as much star potential in there as I think there is. Yep, I would agree with that one hundred percent. And I think we have to view everything this season within the lens that number one, the Kings were in the playoff hunt until really until they had the six game losing streak, and whether they were a high-end playoff team or whether they were actually a playoff team or not is debatable. Uh, but the fact is, in the standings, they were right there uh, within, what, a half game a day after the All-Star break? A game yeah, out. exactly. And so they were in the hunt, and, and I think, you know, you know, I know fans uh, differ on this, but, uh, you know, I know I wanted to see the team make the playoffs. I, I wanted to see a first-round potentially of the Golden State Warriors and Sacramento Kings. I understand the, the likelihood of how that plays out, but I, I just, uh, you know, I think we'd have had a just a grand old time at Golden 1. I really do, but, you know, past is past. That's right, past is past. So, uh, yeah, we'll view it through that lens and also through the lens of change because it's not just a whole bunch of young players, but it also is DeMarcus Cousins, uh, Matt Barnes, 
uh, Omri Caspi leaving and sort of resetting the entire franchise on the fly, which is never easy to do. Um, and, and that's something that I, I think, you know, again, you have to view all of this entire season as almost like individual short little seasons. You had your, your big your beginning without Darren Collison where you're trying to find your way uh, with a whole bunch of new players. You have your, your phase where the Kings looked okay and looked like they might be able to make a run. Uh, and then you had the big trade that changed everything, and now you have sort of the the rebirth of the Kings as a uh, a young, you know, talent laden but young young team that has upside but is probably a couple of years away. Yeah, no, it's been a complete uh, changeover, and 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 now you know with. 17, 18 games, whatever's left, you know, okay, now it's a, it's really important to find a, 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 the best way to get the most out of it. And uh, that really doesn't really, at this point, wins and losses uh, probably are secondary on that list. Uh, you know, in other words, uh, you, you'd still like to win games. I think you'd like to see the – but you want to see what you have, uh, see what you need to do because, quite honestly, not, not just a lot of the veterans, but you may you may not – you know, by the end, you may feel differently about Heald or, or Scal or Papianis or Malachi, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, to, to assume that uh, these are guys that, that you're going to count on for the next six, seven years is very foolish. Uh, uh, you know, very I mean, true. history proves that just that's not good strategy. But to my mind is what you do want to do is find out, get a real pretty clear idea of uh, just uh, how important are they going to be to you going forward? All right. There it is. So we're pulling into Cordelia, which means we're going to end the car cast. Uh, Jerry and I have to have a, uh, a, a late dinner. Yes, we do. That's right. Uh, and so, uh, Jerry, do you have any final thoughts? Well, it's been a, been a blast, uh, actually, driving up and down the road with you and talking basketball. Uh, I never get enough of it. Uh, like I say, I've only been in the league 32 years, and someday I'm going to figure it out, but I, I haven't yet. <laughs> All right, so that is Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you.